Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Well, hi again, everybody. I'm Tom Brenneman, and welcome to Dialed In with Tom Brenneman. Great to have you with us. Hope your week's going well. Summer's off to a great start. Like to thank, as always, the Believe Network for believing in this program and our main man, Dave Armbruster, our producer and engineer, and of course, Mike Reed for coming up and composing the music for our program. We've been talking a lot about baseball, and I got to tell you, I, I wrestle all the time about how much time to spend on baseball. Because I don't know how many of you care about it. Um, you know, you look at some of the numbers, uh, even of, you know, Major League Baseball on television. Uh, locally, I know some of the numbers are pretty strong, especially, obviously, if you have a good team. Uh, the NBA numbers are way down. Um, not compared to the last two years with a pandemic, but going back to when you actually played at the time you were supposed to play. Um, but it seems like football is the only thing people want to talk about. So we're not going to spend this week talking about necessarily a particular team as we've been doing in recent weeks, but but more of a general overall view of where baseball is. And I can't think of a better guy than our guest today, Bill Bavese, uh, to talk to about that. He's done virtually everything you can do. Uh, started as a young man, his dad, a legendary name, Buzzy Bavese, worked his way up, player development, scouting, became a general manager with the Angels, a general manager with the Seattle Mariners. Um, he is uh, currently in perfect game, which of course is where high school and college players compete a lot in the summertime to try to get on the radar for being recruited or being drafted. He's run the United States Baseball Olympic team, was a general manager of that team that won the gold medal in 2000. And so he's done a little bit of everything. And, and he's currently doing a lot of work with the Pioneer League, which is a non-affiliated league now, uh, since Major League Baseball decided to get rid of 40 minor league affiliated teams. So when we come back, we will visit with Bill Bavese, part one of two. You dialed in with Tom Brenneman. Since 1882, Children's Home of Northern Kentucky has been a lifeline for children and families in crisis. Now known as CHNK Behavioral Health, its team of doctors, nurses, and therapists impacts nearly 4,000 kids and families every year. An array of mental health services including counseling, addiction treatment, and psychiatric residential care. CHNK also continues to care for abused and neglected youth who are in the state's custody. Right now, CHNK Behavioral Health is offering a free 10-minute conversation with a clinical therapist to help families dealing with the increased pressures caused by the ongoing pandemic. Visit www.chnk.org for more details or for the free conversation with a therapist, call 1-844-YES-CHNK. Bill Bavese was born in Scarsdale, New York in 1957. He grew up in a baseball family, to say the least. The son of longtime Major League Baseball executive Buzzy Bavese and the brother of Peter Bavese. You'll learn more about him later if that name doesn't ring a bell. He's also a former Major League Baseball executive. Bill spent over a decade in the Angels organization in multiple roles, including minor league operations, farm system director, director of player development, before taking over as a team's general manager in 1994, he drafted players like Troy Gloss, Darren Erstad, John Lackey, 
Jared Washburn, and others who would be instrumental in leading the Angels to the 2002 World Series title. He left Anaheim, spent two years with the Dodgers in player development, head man there, and then got another shot as a GM with the Seattle Mariners in November of 2003, a post he would hold until 2008. But he's done a lot of other things. He's been co-chair of the United States Baseball Olympic Steering Committee, co-general manager of that Olympic team in 2000, which won the gold medal. He supervised the Arizona Fall League, Major League Baseball Scouting Bureau, as well as uh, the vice president of the Cincinnati Reds. He currently works with Perfect Game and the Pioneer League, where he also serves as my co-host of the PBL Roundup Show. And it's a pleasure to welcome Bill Bavese. Bill, of all the things I just ripped off, which of those, if any, and maybe it's none of the above, are you most proud of? Well, you know, first of all, Tom, thanks for having me with you. This is going to be fun. Um, you know, I, it's hard to pick one, but I, I, I um, you know, in Anaheim, our time there, we, we really, I was really proud of what we left, left behind. You know, I, I was, uh, I was a GM for a couple of years with the Autrys, uh, Gene and Jackie Autry, and they were just fabulous. And, uh, they sold the club to Disney and I really didn't expect my career in Anaheim to, to continue, but, uh, actually I ended up with them for four years. Uh, they stuck with, with me and we, we kept building the thing and they had a lot of patience, uh, and it paid off for them, uh, when they won, I wasn't there for it, but, um, I, I think, you know, we, we ran a pretty good program there and then, you know, we got another shot to do it in, in Seattle and, uh, the ownership wanted something a little di- different. They wanted a, a really quick re- rebuild. They didn't, they didn't have any interest in any uh, five-year uh, uh, re- rebuilding plan, and it was a disaster. You know, we really didn't. I, you know, I didn't do do a good job there. So I think in, in Anaheim, I liked the job we did there. Um, I liked what we did in Cincinnati. I liked what we did in in Los Angeles for a couple couple of years. And in Cincinnati, I really liked you know everything we did in the minor leagues and the scouting, except. I was not real happy with what, what we did in the international market. I thought we took a different approach to it, um, and we went after uh, uh, more established guys. You know, we went after Chap- Chapman and Rysel Iglesias and, and, and scored on those guys, and we stayed away from other folks in the, in the international market that, that it turned out to be a good thing we did stay away from. Um, but the younger market, uh, you know, the 16 year old signs on July 2nd, we did not do the job there. I, I really hoped we would do. And, and, and so I felt bad about that, but, but, uh, you know, everywhere I've been, I've been lucky to be with really good folks, you know, and, and real good, good pe- people and, and real good performers in, in Anaheim, Bob Fontaine as the scouting director was real good in LA, Logan White was real good in Cincinnati, um, uh, Chris, Chris Buckley and his crew were real good. So I've been lucky. So I, I, I'd, I'd have to say maybe the, the greatest accomplishment uh, in my life is just winning the, uh, the genetics lot, lottery and being born to great parents and, and, you know, real luck in that. So I, I guess my greatest accomplishment is luck. Well, all of us can, can certainly attest to that. You know, I want to go back. Uh, you, you mentioned the gene pool and your dad and, and growing up around baseball, Buzzy Bavese's career started, you know, in the minor leagues, and then all of a sudden he, he gets a huge break with the, with the Dodgers back when they're in Brooklyn. Uh, he replaced Branch Rickey as a Brooklyn Dodgers general manager. 
Um, he held that job for nearly 18 years. I think they won eight National League pennants. They won the first four World Series in franchise history. But were you really old enough at all to understand much what was going on there? Um, not not the first half of it, but uh, you know, I do remember 65 and 66. Um, so I do I do remember uh, what it what it was all like. You know, we had we had a typical kind of 60s house in in Los Angeles, and uh, one of those cities where it was real new to have a have a radio system through your whole house. And so when the club was on the road, and even if they were at home, you know, we weren't. I was pretty young. We didn't go to every game back, mm-hmm. back then. You know, as you remember, games started at eight eight p.m. Yeah. Um, and, so, and so, you know, kids that were going, going to school, we didn't always get to go. But Vin Scully's voice, you know, you'll appreciate this. You know, Vin, Vin Scully's voice is, is going through the whole house. Now that goes on in Cincinnati with you, with with you and your father. That that went on for a long time. But this house had a speaker in every room. You know, so so we you know we listened to every game and and. As a kid, you know why that game is on in your your house, but it's not in the neighbors, and so you you know you kind of have an idea what's going what's going on. Um, my my brothers were older, and so they were much more in tune. With, I was I was the youngest of four boys, and so they were much more in tune with what was going on. I had a clue though. I had a clue, and I and I, and I really knew what we missed when we went to San, San Diego because in in 1968 he he left the Dodgers and went to San Diego as a as the president, GM, and part owner, mm-hmm. and, um, and so back in those days, you know, an expansion team. Now uh, you 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 get awarded your club, and then you operate for three years before you even play. And so you're building up your scouting and your minor leagues, and you're building up uh, the basis for for your club. In those days, you know, you got your club in in November. You were awarded the club in November, and you played in April. So those clubs were pretty bad. And uh, it was a long time to grow a club that way. And it's just, it's real da- damaging. It was real tough. Oh. Um, so, so I really knew what I was missing then. Then, then I really knew what, what we had, you know, when I was a kid in LA. I, I want to go back for a second because in, in getting ready for this interview, and I've never asked you about this, but, but I, I came to read and tell me if this is true or not. And, and if you ever talked about it with your dad uh, as you got older, I understand he was not in favor of the Dodgers moving from New York to Los Angeles. Well, you know, I we, no, we never talked about it because he he uh, I don't I don't really recall that at right. all within you know within our fa- our family. However, I would I would that does not surprise me at all. I I, I think everybody uh, they were real sad. He really loved Brooklyn, and he loved Ebbets Field. And he loved the fans there. He just loved the whole the whole situation there. All those players stayed in Brooklyn in the off season. You know, as you as you remember, those those guys didn't make a lot a lot of money, so they had they had off season jobs, and so they stayed in Brooklyn. They lived in Bro- in Brooklyn, and they were just they were part of the fabric. And so these fans that would come out, they they were neighbors, and so he uh, I he always spoke fondly of Ebbets Field. And the fans there, so that we never spoke about that. I don't ever recall that that com- coming up, but that does not surprise me in the least. And I, I would assume he was very sad to leave there, as I think they all were, um, and I think they all believed that it could have worked. And the Mets kind of proved that. You know, they they if they had if they had had been able to do what they wanted to do uh, and build a ballpark where they wanted it, uh, they really would have done well. And uh, but you know. 
uh, things turned out pre- uh, pretty well. So I, the, probably the reason I never heard it is because they were so wildly successful in L.A. and they became so happy there so quickly. A lot of our relatives followed us uh, out west. So um, we really we really loved the West Coast, and he really loved that. So uh, that's probably you know I'm I'm the youngest of four, so that was I was only six months old when we moved from. Mm-hmm. from from Brooklyn, so I wouldn't hear those stories. But I bet if we asked Peter, he'd probably, he'd probably say, "Yeah, I do, I do remember that." But well, hey, that's the way it goes. I was going to ask <laughs> you, know? you about Peter next. You know, he he becomes a general manager in '72. Uh, in, in fact, in '73, he drafted Dave Winfield. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. He he left to take over as the first <laughs> president of the Toronto Blue Jays. W- w- was the executive sort of thing more of his blood than the necessary necessarily the nitty gritty of the baseball side of it? Yes and no. You know, uh, this this guy is the best executive nobody's ever ever heard of because he, he never you know he never uh, toots his own horn. Um, but this guy was this, you know, Peter was really good. He was really detail or, oriented. He's a hard driver, um, real real smart, off the chart smart, and and really you know in San Diego you just have to have gone through it to appreciate that that if you could stay alive you were doing doing a good job because like I said in those in those in those days, you know, when you get a club in no, in November and and you're not sharing in 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 TV rev, revenue, you're not sharing in a lot of things for for years. That just that makes it that makes it like a ten year run to try to try to make it. And San Diego's a tough market. There's a lot to do there besides going to a baseball game. But anyway, he so so he he really uh, he was a farm broker there also. And so I think if he had chosen and and uh, gravitated toward the game on the field, he would have been he would he would have excelled. Um, but he really liked the business side. It was it was something he could control. You know, when you put when you put a roster out there, you're you know you don't control the health, you don't control the performance. And, and, but but when you when you get on the business side, there's a lot that you can control. And and he and he I think he liked that. I think he 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 gravitated to that because of that. But you know. One thing I remember that makes him him great is he was the first. The Blue Jays were the first to really put together a real good um, pension and profit sharing plan uh, for their scouts and their minor league people, um, and it went real deep. And, and and clubs after that, because of what what the Blue Jays did, um, and and the Dodgers right after him, because of the Blue Jays especially, you know, you saw you saw all these other clubs have to follow suit and the non-uniform pension plan came into being. And so a lot of us have really benefited because of Peter's work. And now that pension plan isn't around anymore. It probably over the last it's, it's eroded away from most, I think there's maybe one club that still has that, but it's eroded away uh, in the last four or five years. But uh, you know, he did a great job in, in bringing the Cleveland Indians back to respectability uh, pretty quickly. You know, he, he put together a good baseball a baseball front front office, a good manager. They they put everything together to bring that organization back to respectability. And the, the he was doing that. Uh, he was working for the O'Neill Estate. Yep. And uh, and then he sold it to on their behalf. He sold it to J, to um, Dick Jake Jacobs, who came along at the right time to to really put it almost a dynasty together. Um, I, I want to circle back one last thing about your dad because uh, he, he, I mean, he, he ends up still moving forward, and he goes to the Angels in 77. Gene Autry, you brought up his name earlier. Uh, they bring him in as executive vice president, the general manager. Two times they get to the American League Championship Series. 
two heartbreaking losses in both of those. And, of course, one of the stories that a lot of people remember, I asked you about it quite some time ago, but I didn't ask it in this, in this vein. Uh, everybody remembers the, 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 the tragedy that was Donnie Moore. Not the tragedy that, that, that he gave up the home run to Dave Henderson in Game 5 uh, in 1986, but, but, but more the fact that um, he later would, would kill his wife and, and committed suicide. Um, another one of those questions, is that a topic that you ever heard your dad talk much about after that? No, no, you know, he wasn't there. Um, Mike, Mike Port was, was the GM at that, at that time. Buzzy was in charge when we got Donnie. And then, and then he, uh, and then Buzzy retired and Mike had, had the club. So Mike went through those days. Um, and I, I don't think Buzzy really ever got to know Don, Donnie. I did a little bit, you know, um, I was the farm director at the time. Yep. And, uh, and Donnie was a really nice guy. I mean, and he was really, um, uh, he was kind of gregarious, you know, if, if you let him be. And he, and when I went through the clubhouse as a farm group, he always gave me a lot of heat. Just, just, just got on me all the time. And, but I really liked him, you know? And so then around college world series time, he would always stop me and, and he'd talk about players. And this guy, if, if he had, if he, if, if, you know, God rest his soul, if he was still with us, he'd, he'd be scouting. He was into it. He was really into uh, position players, pit, you know, pitchers who could do do what, um, and I think uh, the the home run that he gave up, you know, it was it was such a shame because you know that was Dave Henderson and and I know for a fact that Marcel Lastman went out out to the mound and and uh, and gave him instructions, you know, nothing but hard stuff up, you know, and for some reason, you know, they chose to throw a split finger, which was one of his great great weapons great weapons at the time. It's probably, probably the only, the only thing that Dave could get to. And Dave, you know, being a pro himself, he got his pitch and he didn't miss it. Um, so I, it was really, really a shame because he was so, so good for us. And, and back in those days, you know, the Stu, Stu Clyburn was, uh, was setting him up and, you know, you had had those guys often cover the last four innings. You know, they always covered the last three, but, uh, but sometimes four, um, these guys were just workhorses, and 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 uh, Donnie was really special. Um, him taking his own life, he it was it was more, um, you know, when he gave up that home run. From then on, you know, he he ended up with a bad back. Took took a lot of heat for that. Um, he just did not get his due. You know, he just did not ever get what he was due. And then I think he he ended up with some personal problems that really led to to him taking taking his own life um it was just very very tragic i want to get to you now you're working your way up uh at that point in time you just made reference to it about uh, uh about being in the angels organization you you're working your way up you finally become the angels general manager I gotta believe uh, that that had to be. I mean, and obviously very exciting for you professionally, but personally, knowing that your dad had that job, uh, your brother had been a general manager and an executive and all that kind of thing, and now you had and have the same job that your dad used to have. That must have been really cool for everybody. Well, you know, I, I yeah, I'll say yeah, it was. You know, it was it was. Uh, um, it was really an exciting time for a lot of us because um, everybody knew that I wasn't going to get, you know, I, I was there. I, I, I had been there for, I don't know, 
15 years. And so everybody knew I wasn't going to go out and, and bring in a bunch of di different people. Um, so everybody really felt, felt secure, uh, and really, really worked hard. You know, our first, the first year was ni 94 and we had a real bad, bad year. And so we just, we put a business plan together for the second year and we ended up playing a lot better. We ended up playing real, real well. In fact, we were way ahead of, you know, we were way ahead of you know, schedule. We were, you know, in August, we were 13 games up and ended up losing this lead. Um, I should have said July, but you know, in early, early August, we had a pretty hefty, hefty lead still. And we lost that. We had a bunch of young kids with a few vet veterans sprinkled in and they just, they just ran out of gas. Um, I was real proud of them though. They, 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 they lost that lead, but with three, I think it was with five games left, we were three games down and came back and tied, tied Seattle. And so I was real proud of their fight. You know, they really, they, they really fought well, but in that playoff game, we, uh, we lost to Randy Johnson up in Seattle, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, we weren't the first to do, to do, do that, but uh, we ended up in a, a, a tie with New York with, with the Yankees, but they counted that 163rd game as a regular season game. Right. And so our, our, by percentage points, we were, we were, we came in, behind the Yankees where, and we had, we had played pretty well against them that year. So we would have won any, any kind of tiebreaker that you see today. Um, but they didn't, that was the rule, that was the rule then. And they changed it the next year because it was so, it was, it was not right. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't good, but uh, yeah, it was an exciting time for everybody, but you know, it, it's sort of like I, when Phil Nevin got the job the other day with the angels, when Joe Madden, uh, when they let Joe Madden go, um, and Phil got the job. Phil put it best, you know, when he said, you know, I, I always wanted to ma manage. I'm real excited for the opportunity, but this isn't exactly how I was, I was planning on getting a, um, a managing job. You know, uh, everybody thinks you're going to get that job. And it's going to be great ceremony. And um, when I got the job, I was, I was the assistant GM for about, I don't know, it might've been um, one, two, three, like four months. I was the assistant GM. I was, I was the farm director and Whitey Herzog was a co-general manager with Dan, Dan O'Brien senior. And um, in October, I got called home from the instructional because they let Dan O'Brien senior go. And I thought, okay, well, I'm, I'm getting fired. So I, I drove home and, and uh, Whitey said, no, you know, he said, he said, Hey, I want you to stay, stay on as the, and be my assistant GM. So I said, God, that's great. You know, great, great opportunity. I, I took that. And Whitey was fabulous. Uh, you know, Tom, he was a great general manager, great guy to work for um, real, real smart. I mean, real smart baseball guys, we all know, but, but the great thing about him is he would share it with you. You know, you could watch a game and he'd talk to you about, about the game. He, he, he'd tell you what he's, he's thinking. And I just love that about him. And, um, he just had everybody jazzed. We, we knew we were getting better. We knew we had de decent kids and we were just excited to be working for him. And, and so he would go home every once in a while to St. Louis and he would, he would go home not for very long. And so this was one of, one of those times in January of 2094 uh, uh, and we Ken Force was the uh, was the farm director at the time. They just hired him 
Jeff Parker was the assistant in farm director in, in the farm department scouting. Bob Fontaine was the scouting director. And we took him to the airport like a bunch of kids, right? We took him to the sure. airport to go home. And we're the, that, that was back in the day where you could just go to the gate with whoever you were, you know, right, <laughs> you right, go all the way right. to the gate. And so we're at the gate and we're in the restaurant there near the gate. And we're just talking about next year and how we're, you know, what we're going to be doing. And we're fired up, right? And we wave goodbye. He goes, he goes on the plane and Sunday night. So he's going to come home on Monday. He's going to return back to Anaheim on Monday. And I, I was going to pick, pick him up. He called, he called me on Sunday night and said, Hey, um, I'm not going to be on that flight tomorrow. Uh, you don't have to pick me up at the airport. I said, Hey, no problem. Just let me know when you're com- coming in. He said, well, that's it. He said, I'm not coming back. <laughs> he said, uh, <laughs> he said, I, I talked to the, I talked to the over the weekend. I'm not coming back and you're the GM. Go get him, big guy. And so I, <laughs> you know, we, had, we, we chatted for a while. And I, I kind of hung, hung up and looked at my wife and said, well, I'm, I'm the GM of the club. And, and I, I just I, I realized you know this doesn't go the way you plan it. This, you know, man, what's the what's the saying is man man plans and God God laughs. Right. He, uh, so so I was never expecting this at all. And really, what what the, the truth of the matter is, Tom, that that uh, the Autrys were going to sell the club, and I am I my understanding is that is that Whitey said, look, I, I really don't want to go through that. You know, if if, if you're gonna sell, sell it, you really shouldn't have me on your books, and and uh, you're gonna keep your costs down. And so, why don't I bow, you know bow out now? So you know, gracefully he he took his his lead. And then you know, when you're selling the club, you're not gonna go out and do a G, GM search. So hey, give give it this kid here. You know, who's who's been been an assistant GM for four weeks. I mean, for four four months, and so. That's you know I got my first opportunity that that way and I think under the circumstances and in that time of baseball um, we 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 really did a, a pretty standard and good job um, things were different today and they and they changed a lot when I was in in Seattle that job changed a lot but in An- Anaheim yeah it was it was an exciting time but it never comes the way you think it's going to come. I want to ask you about that Seattle thing. You know, after you leave the Angels, you go to the Dodgers for a couple of years, and, and then you get another crack at it to be a GM. But 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 I remember I was covering a lot of the regular season. Of Seattle had had some very good clubs, but they were clubs that were starting to get older. They were they were clubs that were starting to move this guy or move that guy, and, and the whole ownership thing uh, took on an entirely different feel about it. Is that fair to say? Well, you know, not I wasn't there, um, you know, um, in the years before. I'm going to say you're right, but I will say that, that I don't really have a whole lot of proof to back that up. Um, but I, I do know that I, I kind of suspect that if things had not changed and the ownership approached things in a different way, Pat Gillick would still be there. Because, as you know, Pat, Pat didn't he didn't retire. He just resigned from there. And he went on to to Philadelphia and did great things there. Um, so I, I'm going to say that's a little bit of proof that you're right. Um, you know, my my recollection of that team was that um, they put together a group of players who it's it kind of reminds me of the Brooklyn Dodgers. Although those guys didn't have to work in the off season in Seattle, a lot of them stayed in Seattle. They just loved the fans there. They loved the city, the city there, and the fans loved them back. You know. Um, look, look, I, you know, I oversaw a disaster there, but I will tell you right, right up front, the fans there are great. 
and the city there is great. Um, now the blo- the bloggers are not. You know, the bloggers yeah, are, yeah. are are well, they are aren't kind anyway. of a pain in the ass, right? But, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but, but, but those aren't those aren't your fans, man. I, you know, I, I, when I was there, I made a point of my wife and I made a point of getting a, a little condo downtown where we could just. We're, and I'd walk in back. I'd walk back and forth from from the ballpark or, or from, you know, throughout downtown. And you know, I was there alone a lot, and so I didn't cook a lot. So I'd go out to eat, and, and, and so I would I would run into pe- people a lot. And I wasn't afraid of them. They were just they were so they were so nice. They were so good, and they were such good fans. You know, they just want baseball to thrive. They just you know they're not they're not uh, vindictive. But we, if you look at that club in '04, my first year, it was uh, they had won 93 games each of the two years before. Um, but in the second half of '03, they they showed their age real uh, quite a bit, mm-hmm. and so in I will also tell you now you know you can you can read into this whatever you want, but when I got there the year, the year before uh, it was my it was my second and last year with the Dodgers as the farm director, but we uh, baseball then started to publish the the um, the test, the steroid testing, the the performance enhancing drugs te- testing results at the minor league level, not names, just numbers, and um, so it got serious. It got serious, and 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 players, I don't think, had figured out what to use, what to what to switch to, how to mask it, you know, whatever, you know, whatever. They didn't, so they stopped using, and so there was there were a lot. Performances changed a lot over baseball, not just Seattle, but mm-hmm. over baseball. And so we had, we had a few issues where we thought, huh, I wonder if this guy used, you know, because the, because the performance was so, so different. Um, and it was so, um, uh, it was, it was just, a, just, it was just a, a, a real different vibe uh, with at least two of the players there. The most of them though, they just got long in the tooth and it was, it was time. It was, it was time where things were over. And so, I had to turn over a club of, of players that, that fans loved. They just loved these guys, and I didn't blame them, but they were done. you know. And, and so whether it was Dan, Dan Wilson, uh, who – Dan Wilson, he's a guy I'd work for. If he, if he, start, if, if he started the business and I, I could get a, get a job working for this guy, I'd work for him. He's just a, a fabulous person, mm-hmm. a real smart guy. He should be the mayor of Seattle, this guy, and I mean that in all, in all seriousness. But he, he – um, Fabulous guy and real smart guy. Um, and then John, John Olerud at first, Brett Boone at, at, at short, uh, Cirillo at third, um, Buner had just, had just retired. We had to talk. We actually talked, uh, Edgar Martinez into retiring mid season. Um, and that, that was, uh, due to the good work of Lee Pelicudis, our assistant GM and, and Edgar's aide agent edgar's agent um uh, i can't remember his first name his last name is sanchez um but but he um he really loved edgar his agent loved you know loved him and just did not want to ever see him not hit well you know and so he he just he kind of begged edgar to consider retiring mid mid-season and so we treated him really well we you know we did all the right things i think um and so, so I guess what I'm getting at is it is it that that club you're talking about? Yeah, it was it was it was uh, uh, an old club that we had to turn turn over. Uh, Howard Lincoln uh, was he was kind of vilified in the press at that time because I, they didn't make 
the two years before they, I don't believe they made trade deadline deals. If they did, they weren't, they weren't really much because he was holding on to the purse strings uh, pretty tight. And, um, and so he was just, and most, I think, I think somehow the baseball folks let, let that leak out, you know, just to protect themselves. And then um, he just got ripped and he was just getting ripped all, all the time. And so my friend, but it was real clear. He didn't really have a clue on the club because when I first got there, he said, Hey, listen, I want to make sure, you know, you know, at the trade de- deadline, we're going to be making trades where we'll be making trades this year. It's not like in the past. I said, Howard, you know, you're right. We're going to be making trades, but they're not the trades you think we're, we're going to be making. We're selling. <laughs> we're getting rid of players. And so I traded Fred, Freddie Garcia uh, because we just had to turn, turn the club over and we didn't have much in the minor leagues um, volume-wise. We had a couple of really good good, good players, um, and I, I, I unfortunately let one of them go. But um, it, was, it was a different take in that I thought – well, first of all, I, I will say when I first got there, Howard said – he had told me before I got the job that, 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 Hey, listen, we're not interested in any five-year plan here. Those take seven to eight years. And we have no interest in that. You know, we'll give you the first year. We understand that, you know, things might ha- happen, but Hey, you better be getting better every, every month. And I kind of liked that. I kind of liked that he was up front. I kind of liked that, that he wasn't hiding in anything. And, and I didn't quite agree with him, but, I did like that he was putting his cards on the table right right away, and so I accepted that challenge and, and went after it. Um, and so we took that club, and 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 I I will say that that the owner in Japan, um, I my opinion is that uh, he was a dub, a double edged sword. That that club was still in Seattle um, because he bought that club. Um, and so he did a great thing for the community in buying that club. And, I, and as, as I recall, his son-in-law uh, was an executive with Nintendo America, which is in Redmond, Washington. He convinced his father-in-law, um, uh, Mr. Yamauchi, to buy this club as a show of goodwill uh, for all the money they've made in the United States with Nintendo. And so he buys this club, and, and um, he never – he never even went to Seattle. He never, he never, he's never seen, seen the city of real old school, uh, Jap- Japanese man. And, um, and, but right about the time I got there, he, I guess he found a quote unquote baseball guy who gave him advice, uh, back, back in Japan, because I had to do some of the craziest things. Uh, and so I, I, I will say, yes, the ownership and the, the makeup of it and the direction of it did change a little bit. Um, and, I, and I do believe that that, that that started to happen probably a little bit more before I got there, and that's probably a reason Pat left. All right, that's part one with Bill Bavasi. And part two, are you a parent that um, has a kid that plays baseball? You think he's pretty good. Uh, what's the best way to get he or she uh, on the radar? Um, you know, whether it's college, whether it's being scouted for the draft, We're going to talk about all that and the future of Major League Baseball. What's it look like to a guy who's been around it for 50 years? That's Bill Bavese next week on Dialed In with Tom Brenneman. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. 
break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.